Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. I'm Nick Tully, and we are 10 Saturdays and counting till kickoff against the Wofford Terriers. Did you know that scientists in Norway this week revealed the dawn of a new era of global extinction? The first species they expect to perish? The emperor rat, the skunk frog, and our favorite, the gamecock. So guys, today is Sunday, June 21st. Uh, summer solstice also happens to be Father's Day. So um, shout out, happy Father's Day out there to all of the dads. Yeah, happy Father's Day to my dad. You know, he's not one of our uh, hundreds of listeners, but, you know, happy Father's Day to him regardless. Yeah, and I'd like to give a shout out to Tolly over here, who is a father-to-be, expecting a, a baby boy in November, right? That's right. And uh, hey, same thing to our uh, good buddy as well, Graham Sinclair, huge podcast follow, uh, follower. He's a dad-to-be as well, about the same time. So congrats to both you guys. Thank you, guys. Um, so before we get started, uh, definitely wanted to comment on some tragic news coming out of, of South Carolina this week. Um, you know, senseless, senseless shooting um, in Charleston. Yeah, you know, I'm from the Charleston area. I'm from uh, Somerville, right outside of Charleston. And I, you know, consider Charleston really, really dear and close to me when people out here ask me where I'm from. That's what I tell them. Um, some really tragic news. Our thoughts are out to the to the families of the victims and really the whole community. Um, really proud to see how the community has responded in this situation. I think uh, Mayor Riley has done an excellent job. The police chief McMullen and then uh, Clemson's own Nikki Haley, uh, the governor as well, had some great things to say. So. You know, we're, we're sending you our thoughts and just, again, just stay strong. And one thing I'd just like to add to this, you know, there, there's been some reports coming out. We won't get too political or anything about it, but that this kid's friends reported that he told them of, of ideas about doing this or possibly going down and shooting up the College of Charleston. If you hear anybody, friends in your family or anything like that saying anything, please report them. Because the, the biggest thing and most important thing here is saving innocent lives. Not worrying about what happens to your friend because at worst they're going to get help. So please, please report it when you hear it. Absolutely. Um, switching gears a bit, also on today is um, the U.S. Open. And cl former Clemson golfer Ben Martin made the cut this year. Big congrats to Ben. Um, definitely had a good start in the first couple of rounds. Um, shooting, you know, I think he was three under going into Saturday's action. Unfortunately, um, he put up an 86 on the scorecard yesterday, which dropped him kind of from overall contention. But good to see him bounce back today. Looks like he put up a 70. Um, and again, congrats, you know, making the cut in any US Open is incredibly difficult, let alone at Chambers Bay, you know, an exceptionally tough course. Um, so congrats to Ben. Elsewhere in headlines this week, um, We'll definitely touch on on recruiting, but real quick, guys. Um, NCAA basketball recently posted some rule changes going on, um, and you know we we discussed those on a previous podcast. But Brad Brownell actually had some comments this week just on some of the rule changes that that he thinks will be affecting the you know the the way that Clemson plays and really all of college basketball games are are, are played going forward. Um, maybe we could touch on some of these rules here and just give our, our stance on them. Um, they're shortening the shot clock to 30 seconds. There were a couple of other rules related to, um, you know, being able to call timeouts during live play, right? They're taking away coaches ability to do that. That'll now need to be initiated by players in the second half. They're going from four time team timeouts to three team timeouts. Um, and actually in, you know, 
preseason tournament play, they're also considering adding a sixth foul. Um, I know that in college hoops, the foul trouble is always, you know, sort of a strategic angle that coaches like to play and, um, and, you know, either, either use their advantage or, you know, that ends up biting them. So that, that could definitely be a significant, um, impact on college basketball. Um, so what do you guys think? I mean, are these welcome rules for you as a spectator? I, I love it. I think it's the sixth foul. I've been kind of preaching about this quietly to myself uh, amongst my friends for a while now. <laughs> I know preaching, you've been preaching to yourself, <laughs> to myself. <laughs> yeah, Cody's uh, choir. Yeah, has been preached to. <laughs> yeah, because you know, like Duke, they they're always in foul trouble. No, that's not true. Um, but no, it's it's good. It's good for college basketball when you think about a team like Clemson. Like go back to like the Trevor Booker days. A guy like Trevor Booker gets two fouls in the first half and he's out. And that, like that completely swings the balance, the competitive balance when when your best player is out after two quick fouls. And it happens all the time, especially on the road where refereeing is not very balanced. So I, I think that's that's great. And then. The other, the um, reducing the timeouts, that's that's great. There's no way to kill the flow of the game than have than to, than to have too many timeouts, which we see in the NCAA tournament and you know just just in general. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree about the timeouts, uh, and we've touched on this before. The pace of play in college basketball can be absolutely excruciating, and and as we've just gone through these NBA finals, it, it, there is a big difference between the end of the game play there, I think, um, than as compared with. Uh, you know, college basketball tournament, so or, or regular season of that. So, I mean, I really think you know, speeding up the pace of play is actually a huge deal because the last couple minutes of a game can take half an hour. So, uh, yeah, definitely welcome. I I feel like for for a team like Clemson who does rely on some set plays, this can kind of impact that. And I think we'll put you know, and Brad Brown now touched on this a lot more emphasis on having a player that can kind of thrive in chaos and. You know, we've definitely seen some of these guys play for the Tigers in recent years. So hopefully any of our current recruiting or any of our current roster, you know, will will thrive under situations where they, they won't be able to really, you know, hit the reset button or regroup. You know, you kind of have to pick up your flow as you go throughout the game. Yeah. And when I think uh, with the 30 second shot clock, I think that's something that's really going to affect our basketball team because we've, we're known, Brad Brownell's teams are known as a slow it down, grind it out type of team. Um, so you have that with 30 second sh- shot clock, which is really going to, you know, supposedly and hopefully add to an increase in scoring, but also the elimination of the five second uh, closely guarded rule, I think will be a big deal, which to me, it kind of seems like they're, they're, they're kind of counteracting each other because this, you know, the, the five second rule kept the ball moving, but I guess maybe they think they don't need that anymore with the lower shot or the yeah. seconds taken off the shot clock. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. And I also wonder, uh, with this pace of play thing, I don't know that I was necessarily sure I was on board uh, with the sixth foul. I think you know part of this game is learning. You, have, you need to teach these players uh, how to play without fouling, especially they're playing eight less minutes uh, than the NBA. Uh, but I wonder if speeding up the tempo is making them consider adding the sixth foul if they're thinking maybe that more fouls because there's going to be more offensive plays in a basketball game now right is going to add to increased fouling so i think maybe that's kind of a looking ahead a little bit of foresight uh i i just think you know you're playing 40 minutes a game it was always to me you know commensurate with you know nba games are longer 48 minutes more opportunities to foul you know more time out there so that that's where kind of the sixth foul fifth foul thing 
came into play. Yeah. Um, so if they stick with 40-minute games and go to the sixth foul, um, that definitely gives kind of the big men that are prone to those fouls an edge up or leg up. Well, but again, with if there's more offensive uh, plays in the game because of the lower shot clock, then maybe it just all kind of evens out. One thing that I'd be more interested in is, is, and this goes to the NBA too, is how do you handle going into overtimes but still keeping the same number of fouls? That's part of it. I, I've always said, when you, you see these games that go like three overtimes, yeah. why don't they just add a... For any player that doesn't foul out in regulation, why don't they just give them an extra personal. foul? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree because, I mean, you start getting into a second overtime. You, you say, Your two and three overtime games are absolutely exciting, but if you get to the third overtime and each team has three of their best players fouled out, then you're just watching some scrappy guys you're playing off the playing walk-ons, yeah. Yeah, and the reason that it still ties is nobody can score. So, anyways, I mean... Yeah, you don't want a, a Final Four game or an NCAA tournament decided by your, your walk-on. Especially, like, a team like Duke last year did not have a long bench. No. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, it comes down to that, and you start losing guys via fouls with, you know, adding, you know, say you go yeah. three overtimes, just 15 extra minutes onto a game. So, I think my takeaway here, regardless of individual rules, it's nice to see the NCAA, you know, evaluate the quality of the sport and make tweaks. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, I feel like in college football, and we'll touch on, you know, an upcoming change happening there they've been a little slower i think than basketball to react to some necessary changes so um you know kudos to them i guess for for doing what's necessary here and i imagine let's see how these new rules play out if we do start to see um the need for a sixth foul maybe that'll mitigate some of the overtime issues um or they could they could think about tweaking it further um maybe to touch on what's going on in in college football um and this is a, a welcome change in my opinion university of texas will start allowing alcohol sales at football games. Um, something that, you know, seems to me to be an interesting, you know, restriction from college sports nationwide. So, you guys in favor? I, I wonder why don't they, like, the question for me is why don't we serve alcohol at the football games and generate that extra revenue? Well, have you seen the state of some of the tailgaters? out and around the stadium i mean do you think it's a wise idea i mean just from that standpoint it, do, you, do you need to promote promote more inebriation i mean you already have people going out to their cars at halftime and then i also wonder and maybe they see this from the same viewpoint is are the students really going to be the ones buying a eight dollar beer at the concession stand i mean students aren't known for having the most money in the world and they're probably sneaking in flask and everything anyways so i, I mean, mean i think that a lot of the tailgating is in reaction to you can't buy beer in the stadium. Let me let me get loaded up before t beforehand. Obviously, leaving the stadium at halftime to go get a drink, whatever else you know. If you could just buy a, I don't expect it at Clemson Memorial Stadium them to start charging eight dollars for a beer the first time this goes out. Um, concessions are fairly reasonable there, relatively. I mean, we live in San Francisco. You go to a Giants baseball game, you're paying eight, ten, twelve dollars for a microbrew. Um, I don't see that happening at Clemson so the the price could be a way to deter some of the over drinking though so I mean if you offer the beer sales and you do have an elevated price I think especially students would probably only going to get so many maybe but I think that's an interesting point is that maybe it, it curbs some of the pregame drinking knowing that you can go into the game and continue and, and can yeah. continue so you're not hitting it as hard you know right before kickoff so that that is an interesting take I will point out that Texas for its other sports do have does have alcohol sales so this is just a football thing for them right now because they already had it in their other sports interesting 
it'll all balance itself out like you said like some kids will over drink in the stadium others will get loaded like you said before either way it's it's going to happen but at least clemson can generate some extra some added revenue this well, way well and texas is not the first school to to offer have alcohol sales at their football games um i think uh, university of miami does it uh, they're in a pro stadium there um and i'm not sure how the rules between on campus and off campus uh, stadiums works I, I thought I remember there being some type of rule about that but then you know I'm not so sure I do remember when Clemson played Temple in Charlotte uh, several years ago it was a Thursday night game um, it was in Bank of America, America Stadium but they did not have alcohol sales there so I still think it's a school decision school-based decision right mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, I can understand the argument for maybe basketball because there's not the tailgating that goes into football. You know, half your basketball games are on a, a weeknight anyways. Uh, um, so, well, I mean, that's fine. Let's let Texas be the guinea pig and see how it turns out for them. Well, they do this every every Sunday in the NFL, and it goes okay. And then a lot of the northern schools do it, do it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be a matter of there'll be an adjustment period. We probably will have to ramp up security. But by and large there's a revenue aspect of this and just from an enjoyment of the game. Like I'm just, I don't, I'm just generally not in favor of any type of restrictions. You should let people be, be grownups, be adults, make their own decisions um, and adjust accordingly. Well, well, let me bring up this point. What about the fear of underage drinking? Cause it's easy for somebody to go get a beer and then pass it along to somebody else in the stadium and nobody's going to know. Now, obviously you have maybe, Oh, most sporting events, these professional sporting events, you have a two beer limit. Yep. Uh, maybe it's something where you just have a one beer limit in, in the college yeah. uh, arena. So, and these pro pro stadiums have alcohol enforcement. I imagine Sled would would bring their act into into the this event, going through the student section, just absolutely picking yeah. off underage. I, yeah, I, it's going to be tough to police this on the hill. I, I don't think it's the worst evil in the world, frankly, but we'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, college kids are good at drinking, so I guess. Uh, College kids will drink. We, we yeah, can't stop you're, them. You're not going to stop it from happening. Yeah. So maybe being the controlling distributor, maybe that helps. I don't know. Maybe they do lower alcohol percentage beers. That's a possibility. Could be. Um, anyway, we will, we will follow this one closely. Um, Cody, anything on recruiting happening this week? Yeah, we, we just picked up a, a, a offensive line recruit, Chandler Reeves, out of uh, Georgia, I believe he's he's kind of a lower ranked guy, two star, three star. We're kind of having to, I don't want to say like our, our fallback plan, but that's kind of what this is. We've missed on a few high profile guys, still a handful in the running. Um, so we're we're gonna have to hopefully guys like John Simpson, Parker Boudreaux, uh, hopefully those guys will, will commit, and that would give us some serious momentum and talent. But but yeah, you know, welcome welcome to Clemson Chandler, and hopefully you know he's a little bit underweight, but hopefully he'll grow into his frame and he can develop two or three years down the road into a serviceable player. Um, another just another quick side note was uh, Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle out of North Carolina, who Clemson's been in the in the mix with this guy for the last handful of months, uh, probably competing against the in-state schools like North Carolina, NC State. And he was a top 200, maybe a top 100 recruit. Well, all of a sudden, he is the number one player. I guess they've done a little bit better evaluation. They've made a bit, you know, some more uh, assessments on the guy. And now he's the number one player in the class, and Clemson's right up there in the running for him. So how, how big would that be if we could, we could snag the number one player, um, put him beside Christian Wilkins, 
a true freshman this year. I mean, that that's just going to that's a defense that can wreak havoc, you know, like like no other with those two guys in the middle. Yeah, and interesting to see. I mean, you would hope that, you know, maybe our loyalty when he was in the two, you know, top 200 zone would play in to where he ultimately decides now that he's going to have a lot of other other guys coming to town, Nick Saban, Jimbo, etc. Exactly. Yeah, we got in there first or we got in there early and I think that'll give us a huge advantage. But that's that's a that's a guy to follow though. Keep your eye on that guy, Dexter Lawrence. Very good. Um, so one of the topics I think we should dive into and maybe wrap up for the year has to do with Clemson baseball. Um, big news. I know we we touched on this in the past couple of podcasts, prognosticating where we think Clemson might go with with their baseball coach hire. So uh, it was announced this week. Monty Lee, former head coach of the College of Charleston team. Um, will be Clemson's next baseball coach, taking over for Jack Leggett. Guys, reactions on Monty Lee? Well, I'm really excited about this hire, and I'll, I'll go on record as saying I think I predicted this in the, the last podcast. Um, you did. We'll get okay. our fact checker on that one. I think everyone else in Clemson did too, but okay. you did predict it. Well, I mean, anyways, I'm, I'm really excited about this hire. You know, obviously, I mentioned there were some other guys that I would definitely have taken above him. But were those guys a realistic possibility? Probably not. So I think Monty Lee was the next best hire, a real up-and-comer in college baseball. He's been at the College of Charleston the past uh, several years. He's taken them to four NCAA tournament berths. He had a 45-15 and 15 record this year, ranked in the top 25 most of the year. And he has really strong recruiting ties to the state of South Carolina and uh, the South, which I think is really important. So, yeah, really, really, really excited. I think this is uh, really going to be a boost for the Clemson baseball program. And I'm excited to see what he can do. And I, I really think this generates a lot of excitement around the program. I think D D Dan uh, Rad has made a great hire. And this is something that we said, you know, I think he made the right decision in letting Leg go. But he had to follow that up with a great decision on who to bring in as the coach. And however those negotiations worked out, he did it. We got a guy, young guy coming in. He's going to bring some life into this program, I think, and really turn it around. Um, he's got a great pedigree. Played for the College of Charleston. He coached uh, assistant under, at South Carolina under Ray Tanner for six seasons. Um, and as much as, you know, we hate that guy as Clemson fans, you know, great baseball coach, led them to a couple uh, College World Series titles. So, I mean, having that experience, uh, I think it's great. And he's going to come to Clemson and I really think do great things for us. Absolutely. Always exciting when we can add kind of a marquee for one of our marquee sports, bring in you know some fresh blood at the coaching position. So we'll definitely be excited to see what he can do with already a pretty, pretty well-rounded roster and see what he can do with some of his recruiting ties in the state coming into this next season. Yeah, I, I really do think the recruiting is going to be a big deal. So it's going to be interesting to see how fast he's going to be able to turn it around because we do have some key guys leaving and we do have some holes in the rosters. So the one thing I would look forward to is taking the guys that we do have in coming back, especially this pitching staff and seeing what type of development that he gets out of those guys and what players he's going to be able to bring in for next season. If he's going to be able to have an immediate recruiting impact for next year. And if that's not the case, if we do have a, a, you know, a down year in recruiting, then I think the team is probably really going to struggle this year. Because let's look forward now about to who the guys that we're losing and who we're bringing back. 
So we can first uh, start off uh, with the pitching, which was really, you know, certain parts of it uh, were a bright spot this year and certain parts not so much. Outside of uh, our three most successful starters that we had this year, Matthew Crownover, Zach Irwin, and Jake Long, um, you know, outside of those guys, we really didn't have a lot of strong starting pitching. Um, now we lost Crownover and Irwin uh, to the draft. Uh, Crownover signed with the Nationals. Irwin with the White Sox, and I believe uh, Jake Long was a redshirt senior, so I don't think he has any eligibility. Will be returning next year, so really we're replacing our three best starters. Um, so I think pitching is going to be a major issue. Some other guys that were losing to the draft: uh, Tyler Krieger and Steve Duggar, uh, two of our top hitters. Uh, from last year's team Um, and then we have a few other guys who were selected in the draft but haven't made a decision yet you had Brody uh, corner in the 17th round Clay Schmidt 32nd round and obviously we know what issues he's dealing with with the with cancer Um, and then we have Eli White selected in the 37th round now normally I would not expect these guys to sign being drafted um, in these positions but where does the coaching change uh you know lead this situation you know maybe Brody corner maybe 17th round he would go but I would think like guys um uh well let's talk about Eli White in the 37th round I would expect him to come back Clayt Schmidt not really I'm I'm unsure of his path especially with his illness of how that's going to shake out so I really can't speak to that um so outside of those guys that we know we're losing um to the draft we also had a couple of signees uh, who were drafted very high, and Cornelius Randolph, a shortstop, and Jalen Miller, a shortstop, both signing with the Giants. Um, so those guys definitely gone. And then we have a couple other signees, uh, Jake uh, Higginbotham in the 27th round and Jackson Kowar in the 40th round. I would expect them to, to join the team and really hopefully help bolster a pitching staff that's in need right now. Um, and then the last guy, uh, a catcher signing that we had, Cal Riley, uh, his uh, family friends with uh, Jack Leggett, um, he's asked for his release. So as usual, we've lost some guys to the draft, um, both signees and guys on the team. So really now looking forward, we need to see how we're going to replace these guys and who we have coming back. So the bright spots that we do have on uh, returners is Reed Rollman, uh, one of the top freshmen in the ACC this year. He led the team in hitting with a 356 average last year. So having him back is going to be huge. And really, really looking at him to build upon his uh, success. Um, Eli White, if he comes back, uh, 297 average. So that's another strong average. And so we would, again, look for him to only improve going into next year. And a few other guys... um, that I want to talk about here. Weston Wilson, he has some experience, didn't hit great last year, um, but expect to see him come back and make an impact. Catcher Chris Oakey, um, good average last year, and also catcher Robert Jolly. He was a freshman in limited playing time, had an average over 300. Um, And then also outfielder Drew Wharton. So from the offensive and and defensive positions uh, side of the field, we, we do have some experience and some talent coming back. Again, my main concern here is going to be the pitchers. So it sounds like there is a core of of, of talent that you know uh, Monty Lee can at least he's not working. You know the cupboard's not completely bare. He's got something to work with. 
and and we'll see what kind of that intangible of of chemistry and charisma that maybe Jack Leggett was starting to lack, or maybe the leadership qualities. I don't. Whatever the case, um, maybe we'll see that Monty Lee and have that impact right away, and we'll, we'll we'll have a good good way to measure. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So I mean, a, a few of the things that he can work on right away, and I think the questions that we're going to have to answer here is. Number one, how do these guys gel together as a team with the coaching change? It's always difficult when these players who have been there then are coming back, how do you make that transition? So yeah, how Monty Lee um, connects with them is going to be huge. But then also some of the things that he can uh, help affect right away is the, uh, the poor base running, correcting that that we had last year because that hurts your offense. And then also, you know, how many times we left the bases loaded this year without scoring and then just looking at it called third strikes. So I think these are all coaching things that can be done to already to, to, to bolster an offense that has some key guys returning and hopefully some guys that will improve. So, and I'll be interested, you know, sorry to interrupt Ben. I'd be, I'll be interested to see recruiting. I can, if you think back to a guy like John Calipari, Calipari, when he was at Memphis, he was pulling some good recruits, right? He goes to Kentucky, he's getting nothing but top 10 talent. So now, you know, Monty Lee was doing a good job of recruiting at College of Charleston. I wonder with this bigger, you know, more prestigious platform at Clemson, if we're going to see the results in recruiting and, and how quickly we'll see the results. Yeah, and I, I think absolutely there will be an improvement. Uh, but I, I will mention this, that college baseball is a little bit different than college basketball and football is in. You have a, you know, nearly 30-man roster, but you only get 11.7 scholarships. So, and how they calculate that 0.7 is beyond me. Um, so it's like a you know guy with one arm or a little person. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, so it, it creates more parity in, in college baseball, and so the, well, we'll see what happens with the recruiting. Um, again, we have talent on the on the offensive side, uh, pitching wise. That is my main concern. Again, like I mentioned, Crownover, Irwin, Long are gone. So now we look to guys like Brody Corner. I expect him to be back. He had 12 games started last year, so he does have experience. However, he had a 7.55 ERA. So he would need to at least cut that in a half, I think, to be, expect, um, to, to be effective next year. Um, one other guy, Drew Moyer, he had a low ERA, 1.74, only 10 appearances. And then guys like Charlie Barnes, Taylor Vetzel, Limited number of appearances, um, but decent ERAs under four. And then turning around, guys like Pat Crawl, ERA right around four, 27 appearances. And then several other guys with, with experience, but again, the bullpen was a major issue this year. Um, so I, I think we're really going to have to see a huge step in improvement. And honestly, I, I'm not optimistic about the guys that we have on staff. So I think this is where recruiting is going to have to come in. And even if we have a great recruiting year, if it is able to avoid having a down year in recruiting, it's going to be really tough, I think, to bounce back right away next year because pitching is going to have to develop. Um, so you're going to have to give the guy at least one year, hope for some, some good and bright spots next year. But... You know, Crownover, Irwin, and Long, when he came back healthy this year, really carried the team and really made up for, again, uh, poor defense, bad base running, and some questionable hitting techniques. So what I'll be looking for next year is not necessarily how how, is our, how does our team fare in terms of postseason results. Do we make it to a College World Series or a Super Regional? But I'll be looking for are those things like the base running mistakes, 
are they going to be corrected? Um, do you see guys outperforming what they were expected to do? And that'll be how I gauge, you know, his first year. Give him maybe two or three years before we really, you know. Yeah. No, I think fundamentals is going to be key. So pay attention to that. And then also the development throughout the year. See how this team develops. See how this team bonds and comes together. And I'm not saying that uh, NCAA tournament appearance going to a regional is out of the question. Um, especially as you see, if a team can catch you know, fire at the end of the year, I mean, especially you know, in baseball, it's a it's a longer season, so you don't need to be, you know, as good at the beginning. But so so it's not out of the question. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if we don't make it because of these glaring weaknesses in the pitching staff that I've mentioned. Something I'd like to touch on is not necessarily related to Monty Lee, although I, I do I would like to comment on what he could do to improve this. You know, it it is tricky to follow Clemson baseball if you're not based in the area, if it's not being broadcast on local radio. Um, certainly, I could try to tune into um, you know WCCP online. I believe I'd be able to listen to games that way. But you know, guys, I, I feel like Clemson could do more to try to you know engage their alumni community and really their fan base nationally in in trying to consume baseball and whether that's the school you know focusing on putting highlight packages together etc i mean they can't really rely on networks like espn because there really aren't baseball television contracts so sports center doesn't really show baseball highlights unless some guy hits two grand slams in one game or something like that so you know yes i think the athletic department and possibly monty lee could you know invest you know in and again get the marketing department get interns etc to, to put this stuff together but you know, let's let's try to elevate the the brand of Clemson baseball online with video. Yeah, I, I think the hard thing there, and they do broadcast uh, several of the games online. Uh, the way uh, baseball is a different animal than basketball or football, at least in college athletics, is that just like in Major League Baseball, you know, they're typically playing about five games a week. So even if you have the, the exposure uh, via video on the internet or on television, it's really hard to watch every game. I'm a huge Braves fan, and even if they're on, if they were on all the time out here, I wouldn't be able to watch every game. It's just impossible. Number one, the time difference, and number two, the time commitment. Um, it's, you can't watch every game. Football is easy. You know that for three to four hours on Saturday, every Saturday during the fall, what you're doing. Yep. Basketball, two games a week you know you'll have a saturday or sunday game you can kind of bank on that and yeah, then exactly. a weeknight game right it's exactly baseball is a different animal it's it's just hard to to watch every game but it's easy to read up on the stories follow the statistics read the box score one of my favorite things to do um yep and, I, and keep knowledgeable that way i think it's safe to say that baseball college baseball is it's okay it's the one sport that it's really okay to be a bandwagon fan towards the end because that's when the games become you know, nationally televised. Yeah. And if your team, in this case, like Clemson, is not making those regional finals or the, the College World Series, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, no, and I think, uh, you know, rare compliment to ESPN, but I, I think they do a good job of uh, broadcasting the NCAA baseball tournament and College World Series. They do have some great analysts on there, former ball players. although I, I listened to one of the announcers uh for, for Clemson's regional and a, a former pitcher for I think the Padres or something like that he was absolutely terrible I don't know where they got that sometimes guy you get sometimes you get an odd cookie in there yeah no this guy he was definitely an odd cookie um so but other than that you know again that's a Cal State Fullerton regional wasn't a super regional so they're you know 
they're digging deep into the JV exactly. pool of announcers. It's probably an intern. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair point, you know, four, four or five games a week, you know, they do three game series generally. Um, tough to keep up on that. I just think, you know, let's pick the stars on the team. Let's start to promote their play and some of their best highlights. Um, and just keep kind of your, your casual average fan engaged throughout the year. You know, knowing these names, knowing that we, we had two All-Americans this year, you know, I think they, they could have done more to kind of produce a groundswell around these guys and their brand. Um, and hopefully Monty Lee, you know, younger coach, new ideas. Maybe he embraces that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think just the excitement that, that comes with a change and actually making a hire that has a good pedigree, he's won, he's been to postseason play, he has a great reputation among coaches and players and connections within the state and the region. So I think that excitement itself is going to carry itself through the first year. And again, even if we get off to a slow start, I think building throughout the year, building momentum, developing, getting better as a team is, is really going to help you know ride that first year out and then really see what he can do going into years two and three. Um, I think definitely by the end of you know year four, after he has his guys in the system, you're really going to be able to start making you know honest judgments. I'd also like to see to sort of bridge the gap with the Leggett era. Um, go go out there, embrace the current pros who used to play for Clemson. Granted, they they all played for Jack, but what can what can be done to bring them back into the program? Not just from a, an engagement with current players, but you know show show recruits show current players that there is this connection with the with the majors and we do have clemson ball players playing at that next level um you know for football it's we we all know who the nfl guys are and i think you constantly see them tweeting on saturdays about what's going on with the football team it'd be great to have some of that connection with like the, the likes of like brad miller for the mariners I'll also say, as a casual Clemson fan, I'm, I'm excited. I've been re-energized now. I'll be paying more attention to Monty Lee now that, just because of a change. Sometimes it's good just for the sake of change. It's needed, and uh, we can look to a, a brighter future for Clemson baseball. Yeah, I like his name, too. It flows well. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to say. <laughs> like it? I don't know wh- which, which one's the pronounced syllable. I don't know. It's not that hard, Cody. Okay. It's, fewer, fewer syllables is good for... Yeah for us um boys baseball it's been good um certainly big fan of pro baseball um but i think we can kind of table this one unless there's any more more news that comes up um but let's move on to football so there's a lot of chatter going on out there about um you know 14 playoff there are pretty much five major conferences out there last year we saw the big 12 who had two teams inside you know the coaches and ap poll top five not make it um, some would say due in large part to the fact that they don't have a conference championship game. Uh, but what we're reading and, and kind of hearing chatter wise is, you know, unless someone goes undefeated in the ACC, we may be that conference this year on the outside looking in. Um, so let me just maybe Cody pose a question to you. Um, will the ACC champion sh- this year miss the playoff? Well, there's a lot of, it depends on a lot of different factors. Let's say the ACC champion this year has one loss um, to a decently quality opponent, and say so that opponent's Florida State, perhaps. Let's say, or we'll so, do Louisville. Yeah, let's say Clemson wins the ACC going away. Let's say they stumble early to Louisville, but re- regroup, 
run the table and including beating the Gamecocks um, for the second year in a row. Would that Clemson team up against, let's say, a one-loss team of every other conference be on the outside looking in? Okay. So I would say probably not. They, or they would probably miss miss out. And it's because perception becomes reality. Uh, the ACC has continued uh, to kind of let us down, you know, with, with not just the weaker part of the conference, but uh, through bowl, you know, um, through bowl games, I think we've really underperformed. Clemson's had, you know, a record or a history of, of, you know, like the Orange Bowl from 2011. But I think it goes back a good, a good way to kind of measure this is looking at Florida State. Two years ago, they were just a juggernaut. They were killing teams, including Clemson. And, you know, just the, the, the numbers really panned out. You had a historically good team, both on offense and defense. And if Clemson could replicate that, then they would be in good shape. However, look at Florida State last year, where they were like barely beating Notre Dame. They barely beat us. If that's the kind of way that Clemson gets to that one loss, and then they're they're facing an Ohio State, which is a bigger brand, it can bring in more money. Then they're never going to get get the nod over a team like Ohio State or Oregon. I. I- I think it depends. It, it depends a lot on when that loss comes, what you do to bounce back after that, and really how you perform. Um, and then also a lot of what what the situation is at other conferences and other schools. I mean, I can see a situation where <laughs> it's going to be hard to see the situation if Ohio State doesn't win the Big Ten this year. I mean, they have three quarterbacks that could start for anybody in the country. But if for some reason they don't win the Big Ten this year and some other school like a Michigan State beats them and wins but has one, maybe two losses, I can easily see a Big Ten uh, conference being less left out because aside from Ohio State, the, the really performance of the rest of the conference last year wasn't very good. I can see a conference like the Big 12 being left out because they don't have the championship yeah, game. It's the same story. Yeah. They, unless one of their teams runs the table, I really do think they're going to continue to be punished for for not stepping up yeah and who are your major players there i mean texas not recently um and now all the fans are gonna be drunk at the game so we'll see how that turns out uh, <laughs> tcu though they return a lot of guys i feel like yeah they're going to be right there they may even run the table baylor for sure um yeah. oklahoma is always are always there but again i think they're always a little overrated i mean we saw what happened in the bowl game last year um beat down yeah exactly so i mean the big 12 for sure is what i can see being left at I think the Pac-12, we've seen Oregon do enough now and have enough chances uh, where everybody before they weren't getting in the national title game and they're like, oh, we want to see Oregon. Oregon always has one loss, one loss they shouldn't have, or they lose to Stanford. Um, I think maybe that's finally starting to catch up. I mean, we or Oregon had their shot. Well, and they lost Mariota. Yeah, exactly. So I can see the Pac-12 being one of the conferences that, that doesn't make it. So, I, again, there's a lot of factors. This is not Clemson and the ACC and the mm-hmm. ACC team having one loss. Um, so, again, I think it depends on when that loss comes. If you see us lose to Louisville on an early season Thursday night game, but then for the rest of the season, uh, the team just takes off. The defense gets better. Deshaun Watson is spectacular and has Heisman talk, maybe even being invited to the Heisman Trophy presentation then I think just even with one loss and you win the conference and you have that, the excitement around the program, you have one of the most dynamic players in college football, uh, dynamic players, plural, Artavis Scott and Deshaun Watson. So I think that has a lot to play into. And on top of that, you would pile wins like Notre Dame, Florida State, uh, the Gamecocks, if they don't go extinct. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it's, I, I don't think one loss rules you out. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on who you know who you're facing, what you're going up against. But I'll say this: looking at our schedule, I don't think there's any great team. Like, it's, I mean, not to say that there's not some top twenty-five teams in there. Florida State, they could be top ten, but my guess is probably no team we'll face this year will be a top ten team by the end of the season. Right. So if you're and, talking about a resume, in terms super of super quality wins. You would imagine the, the winners of any other conference are going to have at least one or two kind of marquee wins as well, perhaps. especially out of the SEC. Yeah, that's perhaps. And so you're going to not only have to win every game, hopefully not lose one game, hopefully go undefeated, but also have put up some style points too, like really blow some teams out. Uh, that's going to be part of it because they, they, you know, they're taking into account not just, again, not just performance on the field. Who did you beat? Your win-loss win, uh, win record. But also, they're going to do a lot of uh, analysis over the numbers. Right. That's part of it. Yeah, I mean, something that has kind of been bugging, bugging me and bugging us for a while, I, I just frankly think it's time for the ACC to step up. We've, we've seen programs like Virginia Tech, Miami, Boston College, and to a lesser extent, Georgia Tech. I mean, they've been kind of there, hanging around. They had a good good year last year. But it, these other schools that have been traditional football powerhouses, um, especially when we, we brought them into the ACC, I think it's time for them to, to re, you know, put up or shut up, basically. Well, and, yeah, I mean, listen, who's been consistent in the ACC? I mean, you definitely have, Georgia Tech is now forming some consistency. I think Louisville is going to continue to uh, be a strong new member to the ACC. Uh uh, Notre Dame will just be overrated every year, and by yeah, you but know they're well coached, and if Brian Kelly stays there, you could definitely yeah. see them being in the conversation. It'll always they'll always be an RPI booster yeah. for sure. So then, and then a team like Florida State. So you're really talking about teams that are having big bowl wins. They're up there in the rankings every year. So you you do see a developing ACC at least among the top group. Virginia Tech, there's been a large drop off. Miami just doesn't live up to expectations. And I just don't think Duke is sustainable, one, because it's Duke football, and two, because Cutcliffe, he keeps having this um, uh, success there. Really, how long are they going to be able to keep him? Um, I'm surprised he stayed this long. So I just don't see that being sustainable there. I see that as being more of a Wake Forest type of run where, you know, under Jim Grobe, good for a few years, have a decent quarterback, like what was it, Riley Skinner, Mm -hmm. that they had. Um, but then that petering off to where Wake Forest is now is, you know, nothing. So, absolutely. I mean, we could go through some of the, the teams in the coastal and and including Boston College on the Atlantic side and talk about, you know, what's going on there, et cetera. I just think, and you know, I, this is going to lead us into maybe our next topic. Um, the coastal just seems to beat one another up. It's kind of a pillow fight, and they end up in the ACC championship game, whereas Clemson and Florida State two superior programs whoever loses to one another is kind of you know left out of that game and that consideration so i would say if this goes on and there's sort of a, a two game gap um two 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 win gap between the best team in the coastal or the atlantic you know i would hope that we would reconsider kind of who gets that nod um but sort of what we're seeing we are seeing the coastal um i guess bias play out in the ACC Coach of the Year award. Um, Tommy Bowden won that award in 2003, and since then, you know, 11, 11 times um, they've they've issued that award since Tommy won it. There's only been two coaches from the ACC Atlantic uh, win the Coach of the Year award. Paul Johnson's won it a couple of times. Um, you definitely have had, um, you know, Virginia Tech, Virginia, um, and 
you know, take that award, their, their head coach. So it, it's just striking to me that, you know, in the, in the meantime, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, these, these guys have won national championships and BCS bowl games, and they're not being considered for this award. Um, sort of insane to me. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing to me to see that. It's like they're, they're, they're picking the coach, the best of the crappiest teams, um, and giving the award to them just for, you know, some a pat on the back for minor success they've had. I mean, Paul Johnson, I do understand. Georgia Tech has actually won meaningful games. You know, David Cutcliffe two years in a row was on there just because nobody expected Duke um, to be as good as they were in 2012. And then when it happened again in 2013, they're like, well, let's give it to him again. Look what he's doing at Duke. And, you know, they, they were decent last year. Didn't give it to him because I think they've kind of caught on. Mike London had a fluky year at Virginia. Then you had Ralph Friesen in Maryland, some more Paul Johnsons, you know. And so, I mean, you just run the list down and it's just coastal divisions. And But really, at the end of the day, what are these, what are they really winning? They're winning the coastal division and they're not winning anything else. Yeah, I feel like just, the coastal is really the liability that is hurting Clemson and Florida State's chances at, you know, having a one-loss acceptance into the playoff potentially. I mean, I would love to see the other Atlantic teams as well. You know, we've got um, Louisville coming in, but what's happened to NC State? What's happened with Wake? What's happened with Pitt? Um, you know, n- new member of the ACC, etc. Um, it. I guess what you were touching on earlier, Ben. The it seems like the the top tier of the ACC continues to be doing pretty well i would just like to see that kind of second tier or the rest of the conference take a step forward yeah and i think that's where a team like north carolina state needs to come back to the to the table uh my miami needs to come back to prominence and you know i don't really see pittsburgh ever being what they they were you know maybe back in the 90s or 2000s i mean that was really more of a basketball decision um Virginia Tech, I think they're going to have to move move on for a Frank Beamer. Maybe give Bud Black the job. Um, I just I think he's the, the the game has passed him by. You know the game is more than special teams now. You know, so um, yeah. I mean we, we the the top half. I mean the, the the not the top half, but the top group of strong contenders is really strong. Um, but it it really there's a big drop off after that. Yeah, and I think a major influence that's going to happen here is the pending ACC network contract that's likely to be ironed out with probably ESPN in the next year um, for football. That's going to be a giant revenue infusion into the ACC programs, and you would hope that that has a, a net effect on the ability to invest in facilities, ability to invest in infrastructure, and improve recruiting. So we've seen it you know, pay dividends in the Pac-12 with their own network. Certainly the SEC is not not wanting for any resources whatsoever so um you know hopefully this league is as a whole i mean i'm i'm glad clemson is in the acc i think it's the right fit for us i think we we are definitely a a marquee program there and we will benefit as the rest of the group comes along and we get this revenue infusion um but i hate to think that the lack of success throughout the league would in any way inhibit us from being able to achieve our our goal of a championship so uh, again, let's let's get back to this. Uh, the coach of the year discussion is like, what has kept Dabo from winning it? You know, he's had some really good years with Clemson. You know, I understand, but uh, you know, and it's not like Florida State. It's not like Jimbo Fisher is winning it. You know, they're beating us and winning the Atlantic. So it's not like Jimbo Fisher is taking it. It's these other guys. Again, I can kind of understand Paul Johnson. Um, 
but then you know when when we won the conference title back in 2011 i think it was mike london from virginia who had one fluke year at virginia win it i mean i think some some maybe body of work i know it's just based on one season but and i don't know people just expect it from from Dabo and clemson for us to win so they don't give it to us but yeah think about where this guy came from you know he was you know a wide receivers coach named interim head coach I mean, he's been an underdog his whole life, basically. Yeah, exactly. So walk I, on at Alabama. I, I think it's time to to give him some props for the job he's done. And you know what? I I think this year could be the year if we go on to win the ACC. I think this could be the year because we. I mean, who 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 else are you up against? Do you give it to Paul Johnson again? I mean, I think he's wanted enough to know. Okay, Georgia Tech's a good football team. Why do we keep giving this guy? Yeah, you know the award. Um, yeah, it's it's clearly based on expectations going in, yeah. and do you exceed those expectations like a Duke or a Georgia Tech? And this, yeah, you're right. This year is a, we're coming in. There's a chance like we're sitting anywhere from some people have us top ten, some people have us not even the top twenty five. I mean, Vegas has us at eight and a half wins, expectation wise. Wow, I'm surprised. I I think that's on the the loss on the defensive side of the ball. Right. So they don't look. I mean, it's a pretty shallow look in in into the program itself they look at who left they're not looking at who we have on defense that you know really has the talent to to uh really help us produce and grow stronger as a unit um yeah they don't have any data on yeah players that haven't played and you know they factor exactly. that in um so but you know, i can also see a scenario where we go undefeated and go to the acc championship game and win it and play duke in that game and they give it to david cutcliffe again you know just because oh well it's duke there how there's a miracle that they're there you know okay great but look who they went through a bunch of patsies in the coastal you know so absolutely i i don't know what goes into voting for the coach of the year if it's media driven um certainly you would expect clemson is not um the largest market let's say for for media relative to elsewhere in the acc you've got um certainly the the Raleigh area, you've got Atlanta, you have, I mean, so I, yeah, I don't understand kind of the, the process there and the clout needed to curry favor and get, get your man that award. Um, I would hope that it would more so be related to merit and an impact. Yeah. I think at this point, let's give an award for coach of the year, the coastal and coach of the year for the entire ACC and, you know, pick, you know, pick a coach from the side of the league that mostly always wins the conference championship indeed cool well fingers crossed for Dabo I feel like um, he certainly earned you know the, the respect of his peers in the ACC and I think if, if we do put up kind of the zero loss or one loss season that he would be the man for the award um, guys maybe we can wrap today with a, a couple of just quick hit um, news items or takes here um, Cody talk to me about this early signing period discussion going on with the NCAA yeah, well, I think this is a good thing, having an early signing period. Dabo has been a huge proponent of it. It just allows I – mean, you put all this time recruiting these guys and you get a commitment. It allows them to say, hey, like, how committed are you? Are you willing to sign right now? And if they do, then you're in good shape. You've locked them in. But, you know, having that, that just the verbal commitment, it's not firm. They could they could all of a sudden decommit, which has happened. Kim Dishe. Kim D- yeah, he's a good example. And, yeah, you're basically screwed. You put all that time, and you, you know, into, into searching for that, you know, defensive end, and then they, they bail on you. And so now you're like, you know, I lost six months while you were committed, where I could have been rec- recruiting other guys. Yeah. But now it's like, hey – 
sign on the dotted line if you're if you're really in. Okay. Yeah, and you don't often see Clemson going in there and sniping guys at the last minute. That tends to happen to us. I think we have a really strong recruiting process and outcomes. So I feel like anything that can kind of secure that and make that official for us is more beneficial. Well, yeah. and not just for us, but to take to the distraction out of the kids' lives. I mean, for for half of them, you know, coming in that are early enrollees, you know, it's going to be their last semester in high school and not only from the academic standpoint but for their last season in, in high school football just to get it over with sign and just take the distraction out of it because even when they verbally commit i mean they have coaches in their ear every single day from other schools and so if they're off the table that just takes that chatter out of their yeah ear. exactly yeah. then let them live out their last semester or two in high school without that distraction it's a lot of media outlets and a lot of people on twitter from like opposing fans that constantly you know, hit them up like Ray Ray yeah. McLeod was an example. So that's right. part of the distraction as well. And, and, yeah. and a lot of the, the, the Ray Ray stuff came from a Clemson website of just making up stories just to generate hits, you know, and it's a website, you know, well, I don't care. I think it's a uh, tiger illustrated. I, I didn't, I don't know if it's tiger illustrated. I know a Florida website that was putting up, that was uh, launching like fake headlines. Ray Ray may come visit Florida, but yeah, might have read about it on TI. Yeah, I, I think TI was, well, there's a reputation out there for them. We won't go any further than that. Um, subscriber base, they need to make the money, man. <laughs> cool. Um, elsewhere, we're seeing Florida State and Alabama agree to play one another uh, starting in 2017. Great way, great way to get the ACC some exposure and, you know, have that measuring stick, you know, probably our best versus their best. And, um, it's it's a way that we can make a statement. Um, they they beat Alabama. If F, FSU beats Alabama, we'll have a chance to beat uh, Florida State by the transitive property. We could be better than any team in the SEC. Certainly be great. Um, I think this is important for Alabama to, and frankly for the ACC as well, to just to continue to increase the quality of opponents they play out of conference. You, SEC is notorious for scheduling cupcakes throughout their season when they look out of conference. Uh, I mean, I know Alabama played, I believe, Wisconsin in recent years, early seasons. So um, they are kind of continuing a trend here, but um, it's great to see. And I feel like, you know, recapturing some of the magic of bowl season where you see conferences go head to head. I'd love to see that continue to propagate in early season. Um, we talked a little bit earlier on a previous podcast about some of the out of conference opponents we're going to be facing in coming years with um, Texas A&M, Auburn and uh, obviously Notre Dame. So good stuff. Yeah, and I'll correct myself here real quick. I think it was the Clemson Insider I was thinking of. Cody, do you have a subscription to yeah, Tiger, Tiger Illustrated? Tiger Illustrated's pretty good. They're yeah. usually very credible and some, yeah, just good, classy guys. Yeah, no, I think it was uh, TCI that I was uh, thinking about. I recall hearing that just a lot of their, it's it's just fodder that they throw out there to try to get hits. So, Clickbait. Yeah, for, and for a Clemson website, I, I you know. I don't think you should be doing that to the school you represent. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of that because I don't follow TCI. Yeah. Cool. Um, so some news coming out of South Carolina. Longtime legendary football coach from Somerville, John McKissick, is going to hang him up. Yeah, I went to Somerville High School, and he was obviously there while I attended school. And uh, my brother actually played football for him. You know, he was an icon at Somerville High School for so long. He um has the he's the winningest coach at any level of football 
And so I think everybody could see this coming. I, I think as the years went on, he really, he was more of a, uh, uh, again, he was just the icon. There was other guys running the team. Um, but I think it's at this point, you know, he's, he's getting up there in age. He, I think he's into his 80s. Um, so I think probably for his own health, you know, just time for him to move on and relax. But I know football was a big part of his life. He was a great ambassador for uh, my town of Somerville, South Carolina, and the college football landscape. You know, Dabo had some really good things to say about him. I think uh, uh, McKissick would come to some of Dabo's speaking events. Um, so, yeah, congrats to, to Coach McKissick, and uh, it be interesting to see where uh, Somerville Green Wave move on from here, uh, who's, who the coach is going to be. Maybe taking a look back at the college landscape, uh, we wanted to remark on some of some of Clemson's um, peers or and or rivals, um, and take a look at you know duration or amount of time that's gone on since these teams have been in the top twenty five poll. Um, Clemson certainly has spent a good amount of time there in recent years. We hope the top ten becomes the norm, uh, but it looks like as I go through this list here. Uh, Notre Dame, they sit at five weeks um, since the last time they appeared in the top 25. That probably will change. I think there's a decent amount of preseason hype. And as I think everyone knows, they tend to be overrated. So uh, they probably will make it back into that poll. But as of now, they're sitting at about five weeks. South Carolina, they it's been 12 weeks since they've cracked the top 25. And judging by all signs and decommitments um, for our, our rivals in Columbia, looks like that may continue. And last but not least, uh, the Syracuse Orange have been out of the top 25 for 214 weeks and counting. So that's yeah, an I, incredible I, stretch. I think UTEP maybe is ahead of them. I mean, Syracuse, I mean, what? come on, Swafford, why are they in the ACC? I mean, we see what they have to offer in football, and basketball is only going backwards. So I just, I just get so angry every time we talk about Syracuse. Um, Notre Dame, yeah, I think probably this time every year they're about five weeks out from being in the polls because, you know, they start their midseason slide, they don't get ranked, and they start the next year ranked, and the same thing happens again. Um, and then the Yardbirds, um, yeah, uh, 12 weeks, it's only going to get worse. So I don't know. I'm not going to kick them while they're down because it's just 12 weeks is one bad season. Talking about South Carolina here. So we could easily go through the same stretch if we have one down year. So. Let's uh, let's see how this year pans out before we assume that they're in a complete uh, collision course or complete you know plummet to the bottom. Guys, I want to throw out a question related to the Gamecocks. Number of seasons Steve Spurrier will continue to coach. I'm going to put the over under at two and a half. What do you take? I, I would say under. I, I think it's probably his last year. I think under two because I think he's already indicated. You know, he had a slip up earlier this year that I think it was two years, and he kind of went back on that, um, that because of the recruiting, um, the detriment of recruiting that that for him saying that, and we saw that with a lot of the fallout with the uh, the decommitments. So, yeah, I, I would say under. I mean, I don't. They don't projecting forward. It's not looking good for them this year, um, and you know. I don't know how much Spurrier can take losing, especially if they lose two in a row to us over the next two years, make it a, a three-year streak. Um, so, yeah, I just don't see it happening. Fair enough. We will see how that plays out as well. I don't think the draw of Augusta National being so close is enough for him to keep losing every year. But he we'll can see. Buy a house nearby. There you go. If need be. 
Cool. That is all we had for today. Thank you all for listening. Take a look for us on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and ClemsonPodcast.com. Tell a friend, and we will talk to you next time. Go Tigers.